Cleveland Football Show, sponsored by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. And as always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. Gentlemen, how are you on this Monday evening? Doing good. Very well. Of course, I do want to remind you that we are brought to you by Mortgage Right. Ready to sell your current home or purchase your first home? Give our good friend Herb Devine a call at 781-254-2846. You can also email him at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available nights and weekends, and they are ready to serve you. If you are ready to sell your current home, buy your next home, or you want to see what's out there for programs, you're not going to find anybody better in the business than Herb Devine. Again, give him a call, 781-254-2846, or you can shoot him an email at situate.mortgageright.com. Do it today. All right, gentlemen, we're going to start off with the Patriots here. And admittedly, I don't know how much time we want to spend on recapping yet another loss. They dropped to 1-5 and five after yesterday's 21-17 loss to the Las Vegas Raiders out in Sin City. And look, did they play better than they did the last two weeks? Obviously. Was Mac Jones better than he was the last two weeks? Obviously. But we weren't exactly setting a high bar with those two performances prior to yesterday. There were some things to build on there, but ultimately it's another loss. And I think after yesterday, I think that in essence, we closed the book on the 2023 season. I think that this team is now officially playing out the string. Yeah, no, to try, I thought you were going to go, Adam. Um, look, it's there's two things that stand out yesterday. One, it's the lack of urgency, the lack of um, just the lack of I guess, fight. And I know it was a one-score game, but you have a drive that lasted nine. I think it was 9.30. It was 17 plays, 75 yards, and you were down nine at the time. Like, at that point, what are you doing? Like, you're just trying to see what you are as an offense, or are you trying to win the game? So that was worrisome, I guess, um, if not more confusing than anything else. Uh, But in terms of the season, yeah, it's over. I think it was over two weeks ago, but um, unfortunately, they still have, what, 11 games left? Something like that. Um, so this is going to be a a long slog. And I asked you before we came on, you know, how soon do we start the draft talk? And, and it's going to be relatively soon. The biggest question that came out of yesterday for me is, do you have the trade deadline in two weeks? Do you have Bill Belichick making the calls for next year? Like, you need to figure this out relatively soon and now I'm not saying fire him obviously that's not going to happen in season although I do think it's more of a possibility now than maybe it's ever been but if you start planning for the future is he the guy that's planning you know that's a huge question well I mean I you're not but I wrote about this today I yeah you're not going to get anything but mid-round picks for the guys that you have that you could trade so I don't think it really matters he can make these trades I mean you don't need the so-called future GM to do that. Well, if, if and I agree with you, but if that's the case, at at some point, just rip the bandaid off. You know, just get this out of the way because I don't think I don't think that they should be bogged down by who's going to be here and not be here next off season. Yeah. If you can, if teams are calling you about the five, the six guys I talked about: Bourne, Brown, uh, Uche, Phillips, Mills, Henry. If teams are calling you about those guys, trade them. Yeah, I, I we don't worry about who's going to be making decisions in February. Focus on the now. If you can add picks to to your war chest for next year's draft, do it. 
Don't waste any time. The season's over. These guys haven't helped you win anyway, so you might as well help them by getting them to a contending situation and getting assets for them. So I, 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 me personally, I don't care about that. If he's the one that makes a decision, so be it. No, I hear you. Real quick, Adam, just um, if that's the case, well, then is he going to actually sell? Is he okay with acknowledging that the season's over? I'm not sure he has that in him. So that's another kind of thing that, that I'm worried about. Just overall, it's an absolute crap show, and um, they might be a three-win team. If you look at the schedule, I think Indy and Washington are the only games they might be able to win at this point. And Denver. They can win out in and, Denver because they're going to be selling too. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's a nightmare. And right. you don't know what the Jets are going to be New Year's Day. That that could be a winnable game too. True. I just look at them um, right now as currently constituted. There's no margin for error in any of these games because no matter what, they start, they're down 10, they're down 14, and they have to work their way back with an offense that doesn't have the ability to score quickly. Like there's no there's no quick strike element to this offense. I mean, like there are at times where it feels like it could be Kendrick Bourne, but that's not really it. You know, they just don't have. I just I don't know what this offense does well. Like I don't think they have any like play or set of plays. So, so not to cut you off, let me ask you what I asked John Lyons yesterday. When do we begin to start looking at Bill O'Brien here? Because yes, I kind of feel like he's gotten a pass. It's been yeah. it's been the beat the hell out of Mac Jones show here for six weeks. At what point did we start looking at him? Because I'm going to say this, okay, I've never coached in the NFL. I've never coached big-time D1 college ball. Highest level I ever coached that was D2. But I will say this, I don't give a shit what level of football it is. When you take a delay a game in a two-minute situation, oh. that begins and ends with the play caller. That's on the coaches. I've heard a lot of people putting it on Mac. Yes, Mac needs to do a better job in that situation. But when you get a delay a game there, that's on the coaches. So at what point do we start to point the finger at him as well? Because I'll be honest with you guys, I'm a big Bill O'Brien fan, but I get the sense he's kind of getting a free pass here. I, I agree. Um, I, I guess it's hard to say because the blame goes around equally to everybody at this point. There's not Just like there's not one simple solution, there's not any one part of this that you fix and everything's fine and dandy again. I think you, you, you got to look at the whole ball of wax here. And so, sure, the offensive line's been bad. Mack's been bad. The wide receiver's been very below average. The, the running backs have done okay at times, but they haven't really shown that much either. It's it's everybody. And it's it, it really feels like, you know, this is a total system failure. But, again, like to your question, O'Brien came here and he was lauded as this, like sort of the savior to this offense, and it hasn't gotten better at all. In fact, it's probably gotten worse. And, uh, and all real quick, and all we kept hearing after last year was you, you want an adult in the room, someone that's done it before, someone that knows what, what they're doing, and all this other stuff. And you have that now, and your offense is worse. Now, are they worse because of O'Brien? No. I do think that he is dealing with limitations in terms of the personnel that he has. But the personnel is very similar to what they had last year. I mean, that this team is not much different on offense. With the exception of Gasicki and the guys they drafted, this is the same skill group as you had last year. And a year ago yesterday, they beat the Cleveland Browns 38-15. to So what point do you look at this and say, okay, we know what Mac is. We know the offensive line sucks. 
They don't have much to work with. We know the skill group is limited. But how much of this starts to fall on the play designer and play caller because it is up to him to ultimately figure out a way to get more out of this talent. And not only that, 10 penalties to 79 yards yesterday. The first two snaps on offense were, I think it was a hold and a false start or or vice versa. But this is just a poorly coached team Mm -hmm. across the board. It's, It's something I never thought would say. No, I agree wholeheartedly. I think they're they're very poorly coached. And uh, and I agree with you. I don't think it's something I thought I would ever say about a Bill Belichick coach team, but they are. And I think that a lot of people are so quick to want to fire Belichick and get rid of Mac that they're not looking at some of the other issues here, one of which is they're undisciplined, which was something that we never saw with this team for almost 20 years. Now, there were times here and there during the Brady-Belichick era where they were undisciplined but nothing like this. I mean, this is a team that, and I know sometimes people will say, well, if they're this undisciplined, they must be tuning him out. They're not listening. You can say that and think that, and that's fine. But I just think at the end of the day, they are what they are. And what they are right now is not a very good football team, not a disciplined team, not a well-coached team. The other problem you have here, guys, is there's a lot of bad teams in the league right now. So there's no guarantee as bad as they are, the Carolina Panthers are worse. The Giants are just as bad. There's other bad teams here. The Chicago Bears are just as bad. The Arizona Cardinals just as bad. So if you have your hopes up that they could end up with a top three pick, well, chances are the Bears are probably going to end up with the worst record in the league, and they'll have the first two picks, or at least the number one pick anyway. But the way things are going right now with Carolina, they're probably going to end up with the number two pick as well. So now, at best, you're looking at the third pick in the draft, realistically. At that point, you got to hope that one of those two quarterbacks falls to you at three. Because if they don't, now you almost have to start thinking about trading back. And I know Patriot fans do not want to hear that. But this team has a lot of needs. It goes beyond the offensive line and Mac Jones. That's something that they're going to have to think about. And we're going to talk about this a million times between now and next April. But we, we probably want to start the conversation with that now. The, the other thing that really frustrated me with yesterday, and you talked about this, Kevin, about the nine-minute drive. I think the nine-minute drive illustrates what Adam said earlier, their inability to make big plays. We've talked about this all season. They can't make big plays. And I say this to you guys all the time. You cannot win in football if you have to go 80 yards every time you have the ball. You've got to be able to shorten the field at some point. You've got to have – Someone, especially when you're in plus territory, that could score for you. They don't have it. It it was abundantly obvious yesterday. And despite all that, they almost still won this game, which speaks to just how bad the Raiders are, too. If I'm Josh McDaniels, you're three and three, but that's got to be one of the most fraudulent 500 records in the history of the NFL because they're a fraudulent bum ass organization themselves. Uh, real quick, I want to talk about the defense because. The defense yesterday, you know, Lyons and I talked about this in the postgame show, and he was applauding them. They gave up 19 points, which is a positive. Your defense gives up 19 points in the NFL. You should be able to win most of your games. I didn't think they were very good from the 20 to the 20. I thought that the Raiders were able to do whatever they wanted. Yeah, I agree. I think at a certain point, you do have to give them credit for, like, bending but not breaking. Um, And – Usually, if you hold your opponent to 19 points, you should be, or not, well, 19, uh, uh, not including the safety. 
But if you hold them to whatever it was, 19, you should be in a decent spot to win that game. And we were talking about the lack of big plays. The one big play that would have been great bounced off of Devontae Parker's hands, and then he didn't take it. Uh, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. I want to hear from both of you on that play, but I also want your take on his postgame comments. You got you to make, make that catch. You, you got to make – I agree. And that's all he had to say is, I have to make that catch. Yes. Period, end of sense. Everything would have stopped after that because nobody would have cared what else he said. All they want to hear is like, yeah, some accountability, please. But he didn't provide that. So on the defense, I'm with you, John. Uh, they got torched early on. Jimmy G, I think the first drive was like 13 plays or 12 plays. Um, they waltzed downfield. And not only that, Brian Hoyer torched them a little bit too, yeah. which is even worse. You thought uh, when he came in, all right, they could win this game now. Garoppolo's out. He's done for the game. Yep. Hoyer's in. Now you you can they're probably going to run the ball more. Now you probably have to play a little heavier in the box. Mm -hmm. But if nothing else, you can balance things up. Now it might not be any reason to bracket Devontae Adams because they don't have a quarterback that can get him the ball. Nope, he got other people the ball. Yeah, no, I thought for sure you know a pick or a fumble was coming. Instead, he hits a bomb on his third snap. Um, and then as far as Parker, look, I asked him about DeAndre Hopkins in camp, and he gave me a death stare that I still have nightmares about. Uh, that is yeah. who he is. Uh, he just he doesn't handle the media. He does well. not do well with the media. No, no. I mean you see it in camp too. Eh? Yeah, it, it's like he, it's painful for him to talk to the media. Yeah, and you could see he got snippy yesterday. Uh, we both talked to him a few times in the locker room, and uh, there is nothing more he hates than dealing with the media. But still, to not take accountability there, it's just sort of a summary of what this team is right now. And and, and I know I've seen some of this on on talk radio today and on the internet that. People are calling for him to be cut. Can we stop? They're not going to cut him. Okay, enough. Like, yeah, I'm just so tired of of the the couch coaches. No, enough well, with just, asking for him to be cut. It's just like any any fan is like this. Like you can name any team, they're like. But this it's not the fans, though, Adam. It's also people in our industry that were saying it. Really? <laughs> yes. Really? And I'm like, listen, this receiving core isn't good as it is. He's yeah. one of the – he might be the only guy that you have that can make a vertical play for you in the passing game. Okay, so he drops that ball. It sucks. It's unfortunate. You wish he took more accountability, but now we're calling for him to be cut. Can we just stop with the nonsense? Like, now he needs to be cut? Okay, sure. It, it, it's just remarkable to me. I, look, I think in many ways his attitude is is a reflection of the attitude of this organization right now. You, you know, and, and – at some point, Bill Belichick needs to realize that the jig is up. Enough with the, the short, curt answers in post-game scrums or Monday morning scrums. Enough with that. You so need to start being more accountable and give, give people more than you're giving. Real quick to that point, he was very good this morning. He was, was good this morning, but I thought yesterday he oh, was yeah. vintage sure. Belichick. For example, when he was asked why Cunningham was the backup, and he says, well, people are hurt. I mean, come yeah, on. no. Um, you're right about yesterday, but uh, frankly, I was surprised about this morning. Um, he answered questions and answered them for him pretty well. So uh, I wonder if he's been talked to about that a little bit. We'll find out this week. You also got to remember uh, Vrabel and Skarnakia are going into the Hall of Fame this week. They're going to try and, um, I, I guess, soften – um, everything around this team this week. So I think it's going to be much more kind of lighthearted and uh, and stuff like that uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but we'll see. But one thing I've always wondered, 
at least when the Patriots were winning a lot, like, you know, five years ago, you know, all that stuff. I was just like, what's it going to be like when things go really bad? Like, if it if it goes bad, like, what's it going to be like? And we're going to – we're sort of seeing it now. It's just – it's ugly, you know, and they're trying to save face in so many spots. And, like, they're – you know, it, it's it's – it's it's rough to see, but this is kind of you know interesting too, just to see what how they react to a totally different type of season. I think this bad. I don't know if anyone could have ever imagined it. I mean, it hasn't been this bad. Not since this I, season. No, no, it, it hasn't been this bad since '95. I was seven. Like, oh and, no, you, this this is worse than '95. Well, no, yeah, but just record wise. I mean, this is. This is more along the lines of 1990, 91, those years. I mean, 1990, they went 1-15. I'm not saying that they're going to replicate that. I think they can probably win a couple more games. But this team will be very similar to what we saw with the Patriots in the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, they were were the worst team in the league. And and their profiling is that. But like I said, there's a lot of bad teams in the league right now. So even if they even if they quote unquote tank, which they're never obviously going to call it that, but even if they were to tank, as I said earlier, you've got so many other bad teams in the league that there's no guarantee that you're going to end up with a top three pick, maybe even a top five pick. I mean, again, you're going to have a lot of teams that are going to be in that neighborhood that are going to be in that conversation. And of course, with the top two quarterbacks in the 2024 draft being Drake May or Caleb Williams, whichever you you think is best. It, there's there's going to be – it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I will say this. I think there's going to be a lot of teams in the quarterback market, and I think that that means two things to the Patriots. One, I think it's going to bump up guys like Michael Penix Jr. He could end up being a top-10 pick. You're going to have guys like J.J. McCarthy and some of these other guys. You could, you could have up to five first-round quarterbacks, if not more, depending on who rises down the stretch and in the offseason. The other thing it's going to do is if the Patriots decide to move on from Mac Jones, it may actually create a market for him. There may be teams out there that are looking at him and going, we can win with him. We can salvage him. I spoke to I spoke to someone on Saturday that's in the league as a scout, and he told me he felt that his organization, and they shall remain nameless, his organization could win with Mac Jones. He said that to me. If nothing else, he felt, we might not win a Super Bowl with Mac Jones, but we feel we could win a playoff game or two with him. So what does that tell you right there? That's that's kind of the thought process of people around the league. So if, in fact, they do decide to move on from Jones, they very well could be a market for him because there's going to be several quarterback-needy teams. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Of course, the Bills come to town on Sunday. They have absolutely owned the Patriots the last three years. Buffalo is banged up. They got lucky to win last night. They lost to Jacksonville the week before. But I think it's safe to say we all agree, don't expect an upset here. No, I think, yeah, I think you can see a close game. But, I mean, the, the it's it's funny because sometimes people say, well, it was a close game, moral victory. But, like, there's so many close games in the NFL every year that even losing by less than a touchdown isn't necessarily – like that much of an accomplishment. Honestly, I think yeah, last night's game for Buffalo hurts the Patriots. They're going to be more locked in this week to try and fix that offense. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this is another blowout. Yeah, I, you hope not, obviously. But 
the, the Patriots have been so bad this season, especially the past three weeks, that who knows? Were there positives to take out of yesterday, though? There were some positives. Mac played better. I thought that the running game was better. They only rushed for 83 yards, but both Stevenson and Zeke scored. There were positives to take out of it. And I, and I want – I think the other thing we need to do when it comes to the Patriots is we need, we need to look at this football team. Not that it's not being done, because I think it is. But you almost have to look at them from an even more realistic lens. And what I mean, what I mean by that is look at the offensive line. When they're healthy, this is the composition of your offensive line. An aging left tackle who at this point in his career shouldn't be playing on the left side. A left guard that was overdrafted by probably two rounds, and he can't stay healthy. A center who was an undrafted free agent and an overachiever who's had a hell of a career. A right guard who was underdrafted his first couple of years in the league. He he played above expectations as a six-round pick, but has now come back to earth. And right tackle... Right, right tackle has been a, a, a complete train wreck now for three years. So that's your offensive line when they're healthy. Never mind yesterday where they're playing two rookies and a journeyman free agent who they traded for. So I, I just think to me it's like, you know, this is what Mac Jones is playing behind, which is why I think this offseason is going to be so fascinating on a number of levels. But one of the biggest things that we're going to be talking about week in and week out is what do they do with Mac Jones? And again, how much of it falls on him? I have been very steadfast in my belief that at his best, Mac can be a top 15 quarterback. But he's going to need pieces around him. And he's going to need good pieces. And you're going to need to protect him. And I know it's easy to say, well, isn't that the case with every quarterback? Yes, it is. But there are five or six guys in the league that could rise above that. Joe Burrow took the Bengals to a Super Bowl with a bad offensive line two years ago. Okay. So when you're at that level, you can overcome a bad offensive line. Mac doesn't elevate the play of his teammates. He's not going to be able to overcome that. But I still think they're going to have a tough decision to make with him because, especially if he does turn it around and starts playing better, what do you do if you're them? Do you stick with him and possibly pick up the fifth-year option and go in another direction in the draft? Or do you move on from him? It, it's going to make for an interesting decision. But I think to me, it, you know, we could start talking about the, the offseason. It's going to be fascinating. But we still got a lot of football left to play here. And who knows? I mean, by the time this thing is over, they might have seven or eight wins, and we might be looking back at these conversations and and talking about how fruitless they were. We shall see. Of course. Lots of calls. You guys mentioned this at the top of the show. Could this be it for Belichick? I still don't think that they make a move. And I talked about this last week when I was on with Joe Murray. When you look at what's out there for assistance right now, there's not a lot. <laughs> there really is not a lot. When you get past Ben Johnson, Kellen Moore, Dan Quinn, not a lot. there's not a lot of NFL assistants that are head coaching types. You'd either have to pick from one of those three if you moved on from Belichick or dipped into the college ranks. Unless Mayo's the guy. Okay. That well, that was going to be my next point. Or you either go with Mayo or O'Brien. You keep it internal. But my here's my question, and this isn't a knock on Gerard Mayo, but I know he has a good reputation around the league. But if you fire Belichick, you need to present someone to the fan base that's going to reignite them and, and give them hope. Is that a guy that was on the staff? I almost think 
in that case, you might as well elevate O'Brien because at least he's got a resume and a pedigree. I think if you say, all right, we moved on from Bill, here's Gerard Mayo, I, I don't think it does anything for the fan base. So I'm with you, but I do think at this point for Kraft, it would be, a, I don't know if seamless is the right word, but it would be an easier transition than going through the entire process. See, yeah. I think if you move on from Belichick, you have to hire an offensive coach. I really I do. Especially if they make the decision internally that they're going to stick with Mac, you need an offensive coach. Yeah. I, I, I don't see I don't see how you could go with another defensive coach. That's I think that's the direction of the league and has been for the last however many years now. And I think it's a smart thing to do. Especially if if say you and, and that happens, I think, regardless of whether you keep Mac or or um or pick somebody new in the draft. I think you go offense. A lot of these offensive coaches have been very successful. These young guys, they look like they're 23 years old. Um, but I think that's, you know, just to, maybe just to be different than you've been in the past 20 years and going with a defensive guy. I think you go with that young sort of innovative offensive mind and, and, and see how that goes. Well, that's just it. I mean, it's not even so much – even if you don't want to follow league trends, I just think from from a from a fan-base aesthetic standpoint, the fans are going to want an offensive coach. You're going to want someone who can either develop Mac or the next quarterback. And it's an easier sell. And if you want to put butts in the seats again, because let's face it, you're going to see some empty seats there on Sunday. And while I do think it's going to create an opportunistic secondary market for people that maybe through the years haven't had an opportunity to go to Patriot home games, and I and I do think that they will still sell tickets, I also think that by if this keeps going the way it is, by the time you get into November, there's going to be people that are going to be sitting there saying to themselves, I'm not sitting there freezing my ass off to watch a bad football team. So as the season goes on, if they keep losing – Yes, there'll be a secondary market for folks to get tickets, but I still think you're going to see some empty seats. Whether you agree with this or not, the quickest way to put butts back in seats is to hire an offensive coach that's going to come in, that's going to reinvigorate the franchise, that's going to get the offense going. Because as we've seen in recent years, you can win Super Bowls with offensive coaches as long as you put the right defensive coordinator next to them. And... You can do that. There's enough veteran coaches around the league that you could put a good defensive coach next to a hotshot young offensive coordinator. So I think if they move on from Belichick, if somehow you can get someone like Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator in Detroit, I think that that's I think that that's going to be a much easier sell to the fan base than hiring a defensive coach, even if it's Gerard Mayo, who I think deserves a shot. But again, if you're the Crafts. It's a, it's a delicate balance. I still think that one of two things is going to happen. They're either going to work it out and he's going to agree to give up personnel control and just coach, or I think they're just going to mutually part ways because he's going to say, you know what? It's either I get to do what I've been doing or I'm out. You don't trust me anymore. It's over. Again, we're going to talk about this ad nauseum in the coming weeks and months, so we don't need to, we don't need to do it all tonight. You are watching the New England Football Show sponsored by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. Do want to remind you that we are brought to you by Mortgage Right. Give our good friend Herb Devine a call, 781-254-2846. 
or you can email her at situate.mortgageright.com with over 25 years of experience in the lending industry. Herb is one of the best in the business. I'm a realtor myself. I've worked with a lot of people, and I know this much. Herb gets the job done. So if you're willing to sell your current home or you're ready to buy your first home and you need to get into the right program for you, give Herb a call, 781-254-2846, or email him at situate.mortgageright.com. All right, let's talk some college football here. BC was off. Holy Cross was off. Stone, did you make it through the weekend without your two favorite programs being in action? You know damn well I did. We had 17 games covered. We did. We did. Um, bunch of programs are off this weekend. Stonehill was off. Um, wait, Merrimack. Am I might Merrimack was off. I was like, I had to do a double take there. Merrimack was off. Ewart, Harvard, Howard. I was at the Brown Princeton game. Adam took in some ISL action on Saturday. We're gonna get to that in a sec. But let's talk a little bit of college football here. A bunch of programs are back in action this weekend. I want to start with a couple of surprising scores in the area. And that is one, Brown beating Princeton. I was there, as I mentioned, in overtime, 28-27. Man, Brown is fun to watch. They are so much fun to watch. And that offense is one of the best in the region. It's one of the best in FCS football right now. They have the top – Jake Wilcox is the top passer in the country in FCS football. They are fun to watch. The Bears are never out of a game. The difference this year, other than years past, is is that they can finish games now. Their defense is good enough that it can get stops down the stretch. It did on Saturday. Huge win over a good Princeton program. And look, Princeton is down this year, but it doesn't matter. If you beat Princeton, it's still a good win. Yeah, I mean, that game against Harvard a few weeks ago, that might ultimately determine the Ivy League. Um, I'm just looking at the standings now. There is one, two, three, four, five. Seven teams at one and one in the conference, and Harvard's two and up. So, as we keep saying, this league is just so competitive every single week. Um, Harvard's five and oh, but you got Penn at four and one, uh, Brown's three and two now. You got some teams at two and three, three and two. Uh, it's literally going to come down to the last weekend of the year. Uh, but yeah, I know Jake Wilcox has been kind of surprising just given how down that team was last year. Uh, much like Harvard, their offense is really surprising people, I think. Uh, and I know Mark Mahoney, I believe it was, won the Ivy League Offensive Player of the Week. He had a huge game. And the, uh, He's a Cohasset native. Yeah, and the, the kid who bought the the, uh, the PAT, name escaping me right now. But, Moorhead, Caleb yes, Moorhead. Thank you. Uh, he was named Special Teams Player of the Week. So uh, this league is, they're the most entertaining football to watch right now in New England, I think. Just the overall league. And uh, you mentioned I was at Harvard. Uh, they put up 48 on Howard. I think it was 28 to half. That's a Howard team, by the way, that hung with FBS teams. Yeah. And, they has, lost by, and has three or four guys that could get drafted in April. They lost by 10 to Eastern Michigan and three to Northwestern. Uh, and Harvard absolutely waxed them. So, uh, like I said, the Ivy League is is easily the most entertaining football that you can see right now in New England. I would co-sign that. Um, Wilcox threw the ball 60 times. <laughs> Um, he completed 38 passes, had 375 type uh, uh, passing yards, three touchdowns, through a couple of picks. But again, this this is a kid who I'm curious to see how he projects as a pro because he is so accurate. He, I mean, he really puts the ball where he wants to more often than not. And that was true when he was in high school and he was on that great 2017 Everett team 
and that also great 2019 Milton Academy team. You know, he's just a tremendous uh, passer of the football, and I just can't wait to see what else is in store for him. And you're right, Brown is exhilarating to watch. They're so much fun. Um, I think they're going to, you know, have a continue to have a great season, and they're never out of a game with a guy like Wilcox uh, throwing the ball and West Rocket on the receiving end. And just one and, more thing. And Graham Walker and, and Ty Pezza made some big plays for them on Saturday, too. Go ahead, Kevin. No, sorry. Just one more thing on Harvard. They ran the ball for over 300 yards. Uh, and it's, it's not just one or two guys. Uh, it's four or five guys that they can run out there and um, and trot out there. And, you know, Charles DePrima had, I want to say, 80 yards. Um, uh, Xavier Bascone was in the game. Um, Abby was all, had, had a three-touchdown game. This team is so balanced. They turn the ball over to either two or three times on defense. So, uh, again, it's watch these teams down the stretch because you will not see better football. No, and Harvard is going to hold on to their spot in our top 16 poll, which will be out tomorrow morning. So, I mean, the, the, they look like they're the team to beat. Yale beats Sacred Heart in the first ever meeting between the two schools, which is a little bit of a surprise. I couldn't believe that. Um, yeah, I couldn't either, but – Yale's starting to get that offense going now, and I think that that's the thing. After a slow start to start the year, last three weeks they've really gotten that offense going, and that's going to be good for them because the talent is there with Nolan Grooms, that offensive line, that skill group. They should be good. I still think that the Ivy League ultimately comes down to them and Harvard, and it could be decided in the final game of the regular season when they play in the game. Uh, URI loses a tough one to Richmond. And we talk about this, I feel like, every year, or at least we have for the last couple of years when it comes to the Rams, that they can't have that trap game that's going to derail their season. Well, here it was. It happened again. And and look, you know, I talked about this when I did my camp visit with them about the importance of kicking that door down and either winning the CAA or getting that at-large bid. It, it's looking less and less likely now after this week. This was a tough loss for them. Yeah, I wrote about this. Uh, about two hours ago, they threw the ball 50 times at over 400 yards, but only scored 17 points. Um, couldn't get it done in the red zone again. Uh, turned the ball over three times, I think. It's it's just the same old story with URI. And now, you know, Jim Fleming keeps talking about the eight-win mark. They have Albany and UNH coming up. So uh, they are, not only that, they're now out of the top 25. So uh, if they are going to end that 35-year playoff drought, it's going to take a lot of help and probably going 4-0 down the stretch. You know, they've got tons of talent. Um, the, these are games that they should be able to win. But for whatever, whatever reason, maybe it's a mental block of, you know, uh, hitting a certain point in the season, maybe uh, relaxing a little bit, or I don't know what it is. But the, this sort of cycle seems to go through itself with this team a lot. A lot. Um I don't think their season's over. They can still win a bunch of games. It, they've got good teams ahead of them, but they're not—they're not, they're not going to be out of any of these games from a talent standpoint. They just have to execute. Yeah, and that's going to be the thing because ultimately, that's been their bugaboo in some of these early season games that they've needed to win in order to make that run and get into the playoffs or win the CAA. And it's just frustrating because. Talking to people, the belief around the football world is that the talent is there. And and many people that I've talked to credit Fleming and his staff for the job they've done in the transfer portal. You just want to see, you just want to see them put it all together. They're there. They've gone seven and four in back-to-back -back years, 
But after this weekend, that's kind of the direction they're heading in again. At best, that's what they're going to finish. And that's just – it's it's at some point, it's got to be really frustrating to know that we're at the door, but somehow we can't get into the, in, in, into the house and get into the party. And I think that that has got to be frustrating for Jim Fleming and his staff, especially because you've had Kasim Hill now for four years. Kasim Hill – stabilize the quarterback position for them. He's one of the most experienced quarterbacks in FCS football. He's a guy that's played a lot of football. This was the year that you were supposed to put it all together with an explosive skill group, a bevy of running backs, an experienced offensive line. Yeah, you had a lot to replace on defense, but you saw some really good pieces back along the front seven. This was the year they were supposed to take that next step. Hopefully they could still do that. Kevin, you mentioned UNH. They pick up a big win over Albany at home. Wildcats are back to 3-3. Three and three. They go down to Stony Brook this weekend in which should be a winnable game against the winless Seawolves. But make no mistake about it, UNH needed this one. They picked up a much-needed win. Max Brosmer, Dylan Lobby, the Stars came out to play for the Wildcats. Yeah, I mean, another 38-point performance. And uh, their offense is what we thought they were going to be. The defense, you mentioned it back in August uh, or, or September at least. They're just not what they've been. Um, so they're going to have to win shootouts right now, but uh, really the complete opposite of URI this past weekend. Needed a win at home, homecoming, um, and found a way. And that's really just sort of a – that's a Ricky Santos thing, I think. Again, we've always talked about them sort of um, kind of portraying the image of, of their coach, and they're a gritty team. Uh, they still have some work to do as well if they're going to get back to the playoffs. They are ranked 22nd, but they're only 3-3. Three and three. Um, so even them down the stretch, they got work to do as well. And, um, again, you mentioned Stony Brook, they still have URI, they still have Maine. Uh, it's not going to be easy for them either. Yeah. I feel like, um, that's one of the exciting things about one double a football or FCS football is like, there's still so many teams that are technically in it. No, there's not like a lot of teams in, you know, um, like if you're in the FBS, you have three losses, you're done, you know. But you're an FCS team, you're still kind of in it with three losses. So it's um, it's it's kind of fun to see. And I like the F- uh, FCS playoff talk. We're gonna get going with that later, or you know, down the down the road. Yeah, you also mentioned Maine. Maine beating LIU at home. They matched last season's win total. Derek Robertson and company. The offense has been playing much, much better of late. The defense played well on Saturday, picking up uh, a big win for the Black Bears, and they're starting to now trend in the right direction. This is a program that is now starting to to play some good football, and they're a young football team. Most of this team is back next year, so certainly if Jordan Stevens and his staff can get these guys to continue to build on what they've been doing and have a nice finish, I think uh, it would go a long way towards helping this team for next year. UConn, of course, was on a bye. Holy Cross was on a bye. BC was on a bye. Stonehill and Merrimack were on a bye. UMass was not. They probably wish they were. They lose 63-0 to Penn State. I mean, what is there to say? We we knew that this was a possibility. At this point, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it does, I mean, at this point, a game like Penn State, you chalk it up as a loss anyway. So whether it's 63-0 or 33-0, I guess doesn't matter too much. I mean, Penn State is one of the best teams in college football right now. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you got a big one on Saturday. I don't, Ohio think, State I don't think any, I don't think anybody expected UMass to win this game. So, um, you know, you lick your wounds and you try to get better towards the end of the season. 
will get some wins. I think they're out of they're out of contention for six wins. I think they can get five if they win out. But um, you know, but even that kind of looks uh, like a long shot at this point. Yeah, John, you said it perfectly last week. Take the check and go home. Uh, that's ultimately what it was uh, on Saturday, and uh, they had a they they are to buy this week. Tom Brown did not talk today, and uh, probably better off because I'm afraid of what he would have said. Um, they actually have two bye weeks coming up. Yes. They only have three games left. Yeah, so. and, and and Merrimack is not going to be easy. UConn is no. not going to be easy, although UConn is down. Um, this might be a one-win season again, and we are going to be having the exact same conversations that we've had the last three years, and it is what it is right now. They're on a bye this week. They play at Army on the 28th. Then they come back home to host Merrimack on the – Fourth, then they have a bye before the UConn game. Then they host UConn week 12. So actually they're at Liberty. Wait a minute. I'm wrong. They had four games. They're at Liberty. You're right, Adam. They have four games, not three. They're at Liberty and then they play UConn. So they got four games left, not three. Duh, dumbass. Um, But either way you look at it, I mean, you'd have to run the table to get to five and seven. Not to be negative here, but what have they given us? What have they shown us to think that they could do this, even coming off a bye? And I don't see it happening. At best, you beat Merrimack. That's one. If you can somehow find a way to go up to Mikey Stadium and steal one against Army, maybe that's two. Otherwise, you're looking at having to beat your best shot at, at, at more than one win is probably going to be Merrimack and UConn. And we'll get we'll find out what UConn is about when they come up here and play BC. If that game is competitive. That'll be a tough game for UMass. But either way you look at it, at best right now, I think they're a three-win team, which is an improvement. But to Kevin's point, I think we're going to be having that same conversation about them this offseason. Are they good enough to take the next step? Can they be bowl eligible and all the other stuff that we talk about when we talk about the Minutemen in the offseason? Of course, uh, UConn comes back into action this week. They host South Florida. Boston College is at Georgia Tech in a big game. We've talked about this. Eagles at three and three. They are well positioned now this week and next. If they could find a way to win on Saturday, which will not be easy. Remember, Georgia Tech beat Miami down in Miami two weeks ago. They could beat Georgia Tech. You beat UConn on the 28th. All of a sudden, you're five and three, and you're on the doorstep of a bowl bid. Kevin, you were up there today. Just some thoughts, real quick, on what Halfley had to say. Uh, they handled the bye week as, as you expect. They practiced three times, did a lot of self scouting. Uh, I did ask him two things in particular. One about the tight ends, because the numbers are still putrid at that position. Uh, they need help there. I'm not sure if if George Dacus is the guy or not, but they're certainly going to try. Uh, and I asked him about the O-line, too, and just what's been so different, besides the health, obviously. And he really credited Matt Applebaugh, which I know a lot of BC fans were. They hated the hire, but uh, he's done a fantastic job with them. And, and they're playing... Hard, fast, physical, and, and more importantly, something we talked about in August, all of us, the run game is there. And Adam, you wrote about this on Saturday. If they can keep running the ball the way they are, there's no reason they can't win eight games. Syracuse and Pitt are both down. UConn is not very good. Uh, this schedule is very, very soft, maybe even softer than we thought it was at the start of the year now. So uh, eight or nine wins, I know nine's pushing it, but uh, eight wins is not you know, far-fetched, and uh, there's there's belief that this team can look much different offensively as well with Castellanos continuing to progress 
<clears throat> excuse me, Halfley talked a lot today about making him more of a passer too. And that's not to say they want to take away his running ability, but if you make him a, a deep passing threat, well now, you know, how do you defend that? Because the receivers are clearly talented. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to see kind of what BC team we get this second half of the year. I agree. And we probably thought that they were worse than they actually are that first half of the season. Because if you just look at the games they've lost, just just their losses, it's the same on the other side. It's the wins too. But like Northern Illinois lost by three. Florida State lost by two. Lost by 30 to Louisville. But then, you know, they're very close to having a really good record. You know, and and also the we probably shouldn't have hurt them so much for the Louisville loss because Louisville's one of the best teams in the ACC. So, although they did lose to Pitt this weekend, right? Yeah, I saw that. Um, but you know, you look at what they have. The rest of the schedule is not that daunting. Kevin, you were actually pointing that out at the beginning of the season. Um, these are games that are fifty-fifty. You know, like I feel like a Syracuse BC game no matter what the year, is always going to be a 50-50 game. They're always a sort of about the same where they are. And even though Syracuse has won some games this year, look, you know, Castellanos gives them an element that, you know, that is hard to defend, that that quarterback run. And I think they are I, – I don't – I really don't think, Kev, you're off by that much when you say they could win eight games. Look at these teams. Like, could they lose to them? Sure. But this could also beat them. There's a lot that's – ahead for this BC team. They still have a lot of their goals that are achievable. I think the Army game showed a lot. Both teams had to run the ball, and they do it, and they still ran for 321 yards. I mean, if that's what they're going to be, it's what we, again, it's what we talked about in August. They need to be a run-first team. So they have every every capability of winning seven or eight games right now. Well, let's look at that schedule real quick before we move on. At Georgia Tech on Saturday, like I mentioned, Home for UConn on the 28th. Week 10, they go to Syracuse, which Syracuse is 4-3. and three. They're 3-3. Three and three. I kind of agree with you, Kirkchen. I think it's a 50-50 game. Week 11, they host Virginia Tech, who's playing better of late. They had a big win over the weekend over Wake Forest. Then they go to Pitt for a Thursday night game on November 16th. And then week 13, Friday the 24th, it's a noon kickoff. They play Miami at the Heights in the final game of the regular season, final game of the home schedule as well. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're all winnable games. Even the Miami game, you're going to be getting them up here on November 24th. It's going to be cold. Yes, Miami's the better team, but it's a game that they could certainly compete in. The interesting thing will be is, is if that game is the game they need to win to get in. You hope if you're Jeff Affley and his staff that it doesn't come down to that, but it very well could. My overall point here is there is a lot of 50-50 games there. But there's certainly games that they can win. All right, let's talk some high school football here for our final segment of the night. Um, obviously, we had some big games this past weekend in Massachusetts. Um, Kevin, you were at Bill Ricca at Methuen on Friday night. Kirchin, you and I were at KP Foxborough. That was a hell of a game. That game played out like, like we thought it would. And, and I've coached in many of those. So I'm not surprised it played out the way that it did. Um, just some thoughts on the weekend that was in Massachusetts and New England high school football. Well, I'll, I'll talk about that KP game. I was really impressed with King Phillip. 
they kind of look like the same team every year. You know, they got the big offensive line, the tough defense, the stable of running backs that they can throw at you. Um, you know, they're a good team, and I have them at number four in the state in our rankings. I moved them ahead of Zavarian, who's got two losses, two very losses to very good teams. But I was really impressed with with KP, man. I was impressed with Foxborough too, but I had already seen them. This was my first time seeing KP. The way that they can suffocate you on defense and then just run the ball and run the ball and run the ball. If it's at the 45 and it's fourth and one, they're going for it, and they're probably going to get it. It's just a hard, difficult style to play against. And I don't know how many high school teams there are that they will play or, or might play that, that can be able to handle that. It's hard for any you gotta play almost perfect football. And you gotta get a negative play on first down. And you know, if they're running the ball, that's probably not gonna happen. So again, I every time I see KP, I come away with the same impression, like, man, that's a hard team to beat. And I think they have a, a very uh long run in D two this year. Adam, did you want to touch on the ISO game real quick? Yes. Um Tabor beat St. Sebastian's thirty eight twenty eight and um you know, Tabor's got a lot of players, man. They like they are big up front. Uh Hugo Jumani on at running back is one of the best backs in the ISL already. Um He's a stud. Yeah, Saint Sebs is also pretty good. Um they you know, they made Tabor work for it. It was a close game all the way through. Um and they got a guy in Justin Bork who's a very good running back. And uh so both teams I think are gonna be good. That's St. Seb's second loss. So um, that's going to be tough for them to bounce back from from a Nepsack Bowl perspective. But I think Tabor, you know, you know, they are ahead of schedule. Everybody knew when Jeff Moore got there that they were going to become a very talented football team very soon. But I didn't think they'd be this good until maybe next year or the year after. They're good right now. They can play with anybody in that league. On uh, Baruka Methuen, what a game, first of all. Uh, Methuen led 13-8 at the half, led 13-8 with 9.51 to go in the fourth. Uh, Mark Benane, who had just come back from a broken collarbone for his first game, scores a 10-yard touchdown. Uh, Baruka goes script kick, recovers it at the 30. Quarterback Stephen Gentile scores again. Ball game, 23-13. Um, remarkable comeback for Baruka. Their defense is legit. Uh, they fly around to the football. They have speed on both sides of the ball everywhere. Uh, they need to be – well, should be a favorite uh, heading into the postseason. I would not be surprised if they're 8-0 or – yeah, 8-0. Or, yeah, 8-0. Um, I keep forgetting that the schedule set up. Uh, heading into the postseason, they are legitimate. They have talent. Again, everywhere you need it. Uh, I was really impressed with them. But doing is what doing. They're good. Um, just couldn't close the door at home. But um, hard not to be impressed with Berlicka. And, and, and as we all know, Dwayne Sigsbury is a fantastic coach. Um, has those kids believing everything he says, and uh, they're going to be in it in the end, I think. Yeah, there were some other big games in the region as well. Hendrickson avenges last year's state title loss down in Rhode Island by beating LaSalle in a really, really good game down there. Hendrickson trailed early. LaSalle scored first, hit a couple of big plays. Hendrickson came back at a strong second half. Hawks pick up the big win, but something tells me that these two teams will probably see each other in about five weeks from now for the state title game in Connecticut. 
Big matchup of the weekend was Darien at Greenwich. Both were undefeated. Our Matt Spaulding was there for that one. Greenwich comes away with a 30-14 win. George Von Velakis and company pick up a big win. And they are they appear to be the, the, the class of Class LL, if you will. They'll be the favorites once again in the top division in Connecticut. They certainly look like it on Saturday. 30 points against that Darien defense is pretty impressive. Darien defensively has been stout all year long. Up in Maine, Levitt beat Thornton Academy 35-21 in the big matchup there. New Hampshire, Pinkerton thumps Brockton 42-13. Brian Riley's got one hell of a team there. They're going to be fun to watch as, as the playoffs get closer in New Hampshire. Bedford has been dominant, but I, I think Bedford and Pinkerton right now are in a collision course in D1 in New Hampshire. Astros looked really good in that win over Brockton. So there was a lot of really, really good games this weekend. Some other games in Massachusetts that were also really good. And, of course, this weekend we've got some big ones coming up. Saturday, of course, is the big one here in Massachusetts. Catholic Memorial at St. John's Prep. That's going to be a doozy of a game. Yeah, that'll be a great game. That's one of those games that takes on more life now because with CM in Division Two, they're only going to face St. John's Prep once. They're only going to face uh, Zavarian once. Um, so th this, this is a big game, not just for rivalry's sake, but for how the top five of these teams is going to break down over the course of the season. Yeah, not only do we have big games this weekend, we got two weeks left in the regular season, and that's it. Um, so you now have you know conference titles on the line and teams fighting for playoff spots. So uh, it really is the best time of year. Yeah, and this is going to be the last week of the regular season in Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. They start their playoffs the last weekend in October. So it is um, it is winding down here on, on the high school level. As we mentioned earlier, the Patriots still have a bunch of games left to go. They're at home on Sunday against the Bills. We know how that's gone in recent years. And, of course, on Saturday, you got a bunch of college games, and we'll be at a bunch of those covering those for you as well. All right, gents, final thoughts here before we wrap it up. Same as always, get out to the game if you can, although I do think it's going to pour again Saturday. So, of course it is. But, no, it's, again, high school-wise, coming down the stretch here, kids fighting for, you know, their playoff lives. And uh, we'll be at all the colleges Saturday. And, of course, John, you and I will be at Gillette on Sunday. Guys, just go to a high school game on Friday night, a college game on Saturday, and the Patriots on Sunday. You can just get them all taken care of. Get them all in, and there'll be plenty of Patriots tickets available, so buy your tickets now. And don't forget to plenty of, Yes, there'll be plenty of tickets available throughout the season. And as Kevin mentioned, don't forget to subscribe. We did have a free weekend. Everything that was on the site was free this weekend. We covered 17 games, as Kevin mentioned. We were in four different states this weekend. We take pride in that, folks. We believe we are truly the best football content producer in New England. We provide more coverage than anyone else year-round, not just during the season. And while they may have better graphics than us and they may focus on certain teams more than us, when it comes to all of football in New England, we do it better than anyone. We would appreciate if you would subscribe. You can subscribe directly at nefootballjournal.com. If you can't subscribe, you can visit our team shop, pick up a hat, a sweatshirt, a polo, any way you can help. That helps us to continue to produce the content that we're producing. Proceeds are going back into the business. We want to make this the best possible football experience in New England. We believe it already is, and with your help, we can make it even better. That'll do it for this week's show. For Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin, 
I'm John Serenitas. Until next week, peace. See you.